How do we create more sustainable people, businesses and a more sustainable world? At EarthSelf, we believe you need to create harmony between humanity and nature. Sustainable the Podcast brings you inspiring interviews with leaders who are taking action to help create harmony between humanity and nature. Join your host, Tabby Jane, founder of EarthSelf, to discover nature-connected ways of being and working and become inspired to take action. In episode 86, I spoke to Wayne Clancy, founder of Future Strategies Inc., about his unique human GPS system that allows us to gather data on humanity and human performance to help make the world a better place. Today, I'm speaking to Tobias Peggs. Tobias is co-founder and CEO at Square Roots, the urban family and entrepreneurship platform headquartered in Brooklyn, NYC. He was previously CEO at Avery, a mobile phone editing company acquired by Adobe, and CEO at One Riot, a social media analytics company acquired by Walmart. Tobias has a PhD in Artificial Intelligence from Cardiff University in his native UK, and he is a Techstars mentor, competitive triathlete, snowboarder, and insatiable foodie. Welcome, Tobias. It is great to have you on Sustainable today. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, so I'm, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing because you've gone from artificial intelligence to, to, to mobile phone editing to social media anal- analytics and now into Square Roots. So what, what, what was the inspiration behind Square Roots? Yeah, definitely on the outside, it appears like, it appears like quite a circuitous route, but uh, there's a lot of really exciting technology uh, that, that's going on here. But Really, the, the, the sort of idea for Square Roots was that we saw that consumers, especially in America, were really losing trust in the food system that we have here. Right? You were talking you know, about your previous trips to America, right? You walk into a supermarket and everything is gigantic sized and you actually sort of you know, eat it and it tastes like nothing, right? And you sort of wonder what is going on there. And the primary reason is that all of that food comes from what's known as the industrial food system which is shipping in high-calorie, low-nutrient food from thousands of miles away. And it means that when it gets to your plate, right, you're completely disconnected from that food. You're disconnected from the people that grew the food. Um, and we just thought, listen, there's a better solution here, right? What if we could imagine a world where everyone who lives in the big cities, um, you know, which is an increasing number of the population, um, you know, what could we imagine a world where they all have access to locally grown food and even better where they have a direct relationship with their local farmer, right? Would that put the kind of connection back in food and could we produce food that was healthier and more nutritious for you? And and the answer is yes, right? And there's a technology enablement that allows that. So what we've done at Square Roots is created an indoor urban farm. Um, So we built basically uh, Kind of two-acre fields inside 40-foot shipping containers, if you can imagine that. And uh, inside those shipping containers, we're farming um, vertically. Uh, so what that means is we're growing food in kind of three dimensions instead of two dimensions like a field would. And uh, we control the environment inside that box all the around. So basically, whatever the weather You know, today in New York, it's February, it's sub-zero, it's miserable. You'd never be able to grow any food outdoors. But in our farms, it's the perfect conditions, right? So we're able to grow 
amazing food all year round. And uh, our farm is, you know, right in the middle of Brooklyn. So we're growing really tasty food here, literally in the same neighborhood as the people that are going to eat it. Um, and so when you eat square root greens rather than, or square roots food, you know, rather than eating things that are just tasteless and been shipped in for thousands of miles and all the nutrients are broken down, what you're actually doing is eating something that's really tasty, that was grown in your neighborhood, that's packed full of nutrients and was given a lot of love by a local farmer who you can know and you can come and hang out on the farm. So, um, yeah, that's what we're trying to do at Square Roots. That is, well, it's, it's pretty revolutionary in terms of thinking about food sources. So, I mean, what is the importance of urban family farming in our current society? Because, I mean, you're really changing the way that food is growing. Yes, certainly in America um, and, you know, countries like China, you can see like really terrible issues with the industrial food system. Um, You know, sort of big ag, as it's called, is responsible for about 30% of greenhouse gases today, right? So the way that we grow and distribute our food today is a massive contributor to greenhouse gases, climate change, pollution, um, and also then the food that we're growing is, um, you know, very high in calories and very low in nutrients. It's making us fat and hungry at the same time. Um, and so you see that, right, with, you know, ridiculous rates of obesity and diabetes. Like in the U.S., in many of our cities, there's a 35% childhood obesity rate. And that, that's not something that those kids have chosen to do to themselves, right? That is just a lack of access to healthy, nutritious, locally grown food. And, you know, the answer to this is grow more food locally, um, local food where you can trust uh, that food. And, um, you know, that, that, that's all well and good. But if you look at sort of UN um, stats, right, and think about what the world looks like in 2050, which is not very far away, there'll be 9.6 billion people on the planet and 70% of them will live in urban areas, right? So if you're going to feed the world with local food, then you've really got to figure out urban farming, right? How do you grow food in the city? Because that's where the majority of people are going to live. And then you want to kind of take that one step further and think about being able to do that all year round, irrespective of the outdoor climate, right? So that kind of leads you to indoor urban farming, which is exactly where Square Roots is. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think that's kind of like pretty cool as you're talking about because I've never actually considered that, as you said, it's high calories, low, low nutrients, and we have this obesity issue that's emerging because of a lack of available food. And how do you actually grow food in urban cities, knowing that that's the, the trend that's going to come? So then... What is the technology that you use on your urban farming campus that enables you to grow food all year round? Yeah, so we're using indoor controlled climate hydroponic systems. So lots of kind of buzzwords there. Um, but essentially, it's a, it's a soilless way of farming. Right? So the plants, the seeds are sort of um, suspended in um, vertical towers. And uh, what we then do is uh, provide a nutrient and water mix and feed that through the towers that that feeds the roots, right? Um, What's amazing about the system is that it's incredibly water efficient. Um, It's kind of pretty much the same with all hydroponic technology is that you can recirculate this water. 
Um, and so whereas an outdoor field, you know, water just kind of gets absorbed in the soil and disappears in the hydroponic systems, you can get kind of maximum use um, out of that water. In fact, indoor hydroponic farming uses about 90% less water than the equivalent outdoor farm would use. So it's incredibly efficient in that regard. The other kind of piece of magic that we have going on here is um, uh, LED lighting, which is effectively replacing the sun, right? So, you know, for a plant to grow, um, you know, what it's basically doing is absorbing light spectrum, you know, converting that to energy and creating biomass, right? That's kind of photosynthesis at 100,000 feet. Um, when you study photosynthesis, you actually realize that the plant is actually only absorbing the red spectrum of light and the blue spectrum of light for the majority of, it, of its growth cycle. Um, and so what we do in our indoor farms as a means to sort of reduce um, energy consumption is we micro-tune the lights that are in the farm. So we only push in the red spectrum and the blue spectrum, and we can kind of micro-tune that to impact things like taste and texture and yield. And we're basically able to give the plant exactly the, the, the frequency of light that it needs to grow the most kind of tasty, delicious food that you can imagine. That is kind of pretty cool because, I mean, literally I'm listening to, he to you um, and just realising that this means that technically you're spending or using less of the planet's resources but growing better food through the simple use of technology to achieve all this. Yes, that is the aim, right? And it also opens up some other interesting possibilities, right? Because, again, it's all around controlled climate. So, you know, you could say to me, hey, listen, you know, I was on vacation in the north of Italy in 2004 and I had this amazing tasting basil. And, or basil, sorry, I guess you would say in the UK. I've clearly lived in America for too long. Um, and, uh, you know, what we would be able to do is look at historical environmental records and go find out, okay, well, what was the climate like in Italy um, you know, in June of, of, you know, that particular year, right? What was the temperature? When did the sun come up? When did the sun go down? Uh, what was the humidity level? Um, and, and basically, we can sort of program our farms to mimic that environment and then grow that exact tasting food for you, right? So now you're in a situation where you can, uh, you know, grow food from all around the world, but you're growing it locally, Right, And so instead of shipping food from one part of the planet to the other, which is what we do today in the industrial food system, you're able to ship environmental data from one part of the world to the other and then grow all of that food hyperlocally. That is just incredibly cool. I mean, I, I kind of had a grasp of understanding of of how you grew food before we spoke, but to, to really hear it kind of broken down and explained in this way and thinking that I could technically turn around and say, well, you know, I actually grow this in my granny's garden and this is a, this is what it's like in Scotland and I can bring, the, bring, bring this food with me and I can have it the exact same way that it tastes from my granny's garden. There you go. And, and that's exactly right. Now, you know, think about big urban areas like New York, right? Lots of, um, you know, people from all over the world who, uh, you know, just cannot find ingredients that are sort of integral to 
you know, dishes that they grew up with in, you know, their part of the world. And we're now able to, you know, basically program these farms and grow those, grow those dishes for them, right? I mean, for example, <coughs> we have 10 of these, excuse me, <coughs> we have 10 of these container farms in Brooklyn, and one of them we program to uh, basically replicate the environment in Hokkaido in northern Japan, which is the sort of, you know, breadbasket for, for Japan. And we're growing shiso leaves um, in that farm, right? Which if you, you know, if you are into your sa uh, sashimi or your sushi, right, those are the kind of astringent leaves that, that you get on that plate. They're very kind of integral to that Japanese cuisine. And you just can't buy that fresh anywhere in, you know, America. Well, now you can, right? Because we're actually growing it and selling it to Japanese restaurants right in the middle of Brooklyn. And it tastes phenomenal. Wow. So then, aside from potentially completely revolutionizing the way that we um, grow food, um, what is the overall impact of the Square Roots program? Yeah, it, there, are, there are probably three main areas. Right? So if we, if we think about Square Roots, we built this technology platform that allows us to grow food, you know, as I've said, literally in the neighborhood next to the people that are going to eat it. So huge impact there in terms of sort of resources and providing um, you know, access to fresh, healthy food. The, the second thing is um, the way that we run the program is um, actually we provide opportunities for young, sort of you know, very passionate people who want to um, learn about urban farming and you know, maybe go off and set up their own company one day we provide an opportunity for them to come in and work with us and be a farmer for 12 months. So we call it our farmer entrepreneurship program. Um, what we do then is, you know, give these people, you know, a key to the farm and say, you know, there you go, you're on there, farm number seven, um, you know, that's your business. And uh, we coach those people then how to grow food, but also how to sell food, how to get out into the community, connect, you know, with people and get people in the community connected with, with the food again. And the, the, the third aspect then, you know, I've mentioned this community word a couple of times, but we really think about the overall impact of Square Roots being strengthening communities through food. And, you know, we do that through a number of ways um, on the farm, right? We host farm tours every week, you know, several hundred people turn up and they can sort of have a look at these amazing pink glowing lights and they get to meet the farmers and taste the food and more importantly, talk to, you know, hundreds of other people that are out there in the city that also sort of realize the need for, for local food. And it's, you know, pretty incredible actually to just watch the conversation that happens amongst the community um, during these uh, weekly farm tours that we do. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So, I mean, it, it really is this this triple approach where it's like you've got the tech, so there's the fresh, healthy food that's going out. But here we go, we're actually training people how to be their own urban farmers and we're strengthening the community so that we're bringing community together in a new and innovative way. Correct. You said it much more elegantly than I did. I may well steal that line. For <laughs> Thank you. You. Can, you, you, you can do that because all I did was listen to what you said and summarised it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after this short nature break.
So how has focusing on real food impacted the way that you live your daily life? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, you said at the beginning, I'm a quote-unquote competitive triathlete. Um, so I've always been kind of conscious of what I've been eating. Um, but it was very interesting. Actually, one of my previous companies was acquired by Walmart. And uh, during that transaction, I worked at Walmart for a year. Walmart owned um, Asda in, in the UK, right? So, um you know, some of the work that I got involved with there was um, while I was working there was like studying uh, grocery shopping habits across the globe and just watching, you know, how many people were putting, you know, in the UK, like how many people were putting bananas in their shopping bag and I'm thinking, okay, well, bananas aren't grown in the UK. So like, where did those things come from? Right. And I just got curious about, you know, how much food is being shipped um, kind of across across the globe, and at that scale, right at Walmart scale, where they've got hundreds of millions of you know weekly customers, you're basically sat on top of a data set of the industrial food system, right? You kind of you can visualize with data watching food fly all over the world. And I just thought that was uh, kind of crazy, very inefficient, and you know the end result was not particularly. Um, you know, pleasant for people all the planet um, and just thought there'd be a better way. Um, so that was kind of, you know, the, 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 the genesis of, th- of thinking, okay, what can I do um, to try and come up with a solution to playing my part in sort of fixing this? And, um, you know, the, the, the result of that is uh, Square Roots. Well, no, I I love that. You know, how can, how, how can we do something that is necessary and essential, but do in a way that's better and more sustainable? So, who do you most admire, and why then, Tobias? Yeah, it's um, that's a great question. Right? I think it's sort of it, it's it, it, it's easy and, and it's understandable, and I certainly do admire you know entrepreneurs that take crazy risks, right, or build huge companies. You know, Elon Musk or Sheryl Sandberg, right? Those guys are like an incredible inspiration. Um. Obviously, you know, I'm in the food industry now, right? And you think about, you know, people that have really influenced the way that we um, think about food and understand the impact of the planet, um, you know, the Dan Barbers, the Wendell Berry. Um, but I think to me, honestly, the people that I admire most are, you know, I'm looking out across the Square Roots office now and I see you know, 14 people at Square Roots who have joined an early stage company with wild ambitions um, that is going to take an awful lot of work. And, you know, these people are super, super passionate about the mission here. They too want to bring real food to everyone and they turn up every day and, you know, absolutely crush it to try and make it happen. So, I honestly think the people I admire most are like my coworkers who are putting in all the effort to um, kind of make make this uh, make this vision become a reality. 
Mm. And I love it because it kind of reminds me of that quote, and I think it was by um, Jack Jack Crow or Crow, however you pronounce his name. Um, the people who think that they're crazy, or the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world, usually are. And that's kind of what comes to mind as I'm hearing <laughs> you talking about this. It's like, here we go. We've got this crazy idea. It's going to take a lot of work. Who's on board? And you've got fourteen. Who's in? Right. Exactly. exactly. You've got fourteen people saying, "Us, we'll come and join you. Let's go." Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. So what's one of the, your most favourite memories of a time or place in nature and why? Yeah, nature's, uh, nature's definitely important. I've spent, you know, I've lived in London, I've lived in Mumbai and in India, I now live in New York City. So, um, you know, nature's never been, um, you know, on the back doorstep, right? So I think every time I experience it, I really, really, really appreciate it. Um for me, um, you know, I think it's probably related to, you know, sports that I'm obviously into. And, and particularly, I'm going to pick a, um, a, a trip that I took um, a couple of years ago to, um, to a place called Naseko in, uh, in Japan, uh, snowboarding um, with uh, my wife, Rachel. And um, it was just an absolutely you know, beautiful environment. It's a wonderful place with these snow-capped volcanoes that you can kind of hike up and snowboard down. And uh, you get to the end of the ski run and, um, you know, Naseko is in Hokkaido, right, which is kind of, you know, farmland in, um, in Japan. And so you would literally ski down into a farm and then go eat, you know, the food that the farmers were growing, um, it was just this kind of beautiful, you know, incredible uh, situation to be in where you were, you know, absorbing nature, you know, by, by skiing on it <laughs> and then eating it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Very, very, very lucky to have had that. Mm. And I'm I'm kind of curious because, I mean, you had mentioned that you actually grow leaves from Haikido and you're talking about one of your most favourite experiences was actually skiing in Maseko, which is in Haikido. So how have the nature experiences like these influenced and impacted the way the work that you do? Um, yeah, I, it's... It's funny, actually. I'm not sure if it's impacted my work other than to say it's told me that it's important not to work all the time. And so I try to, you know, regularly, um, you know, check in with nature for, uh, for, for want of a better term. Um, you know, however that might be, right? You know, this morning I went for a two-mile run. You know, I'm in New York City, right? But I can find a river. And I can run along the towpath and I can, you know, watch the waves and just, you know, ignore the fact that I'm in a concrete jungle. And, you know, even if I'm just out for a 45-minute run, um, that kind of gets you grounded and ready to take on the day. Hmm. I like it. So, I mean, what you're saying there is, you know, your check-in with nature almost helps, as you said, using your own word, to ground you and get focused for the day ahead. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'd go crazy if I didn't have that as a daily routine, I think. Mm, no, I can, I can, I can relate. I mean, I'm a country girl at heart, and uh, I, I usually say to people, "Put me in the middle of a city, and I can't tell you where the best bars are or where the best restaurants are, but I can tell you the best spots to go and hang out and find some nature." <laughs> right, exactly. So, what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today, Tobias? 
Yeah, I think the the one thing is to say that if you know your farmer, then you can trust your food. Um, and the way to do that is to go build a relationship with your local farmer, right? So if you're living, you know, in the country, uh, like it sounds like you have, you know, that, that might appear to be easier. But there is an explosion of interest and investment and creation of urban farming companies. And so, you know, whether you're you know, living in London or Mumbai or New York now, you can still build a relationship with your local farmer. And uh, that, to me, is uh, sort of, you know, a fundamental um, um, sort of building block here for, for creating a new food system that is all around food that you can trust. Mm, I love that. So everybody that's listening needs to go, whether they're in the country or the city, and go and find their local farmer and uh, get to know them. That's right. Support support your local farmer. And if it's a square roots farmer, even better, because I'm trying <laughs> to build a business too. <laughs> awesome. It has been so much fun speaking to you today, Tobias. Yes, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity here. And if uh, any of your listeners are in New York, uh, they can always go to squareitsgrow.com, which is our website, and we list there all the times that the farm is open for tours. Uh, we'd love people to come and check out what we're doing. Yeah, no, and I, I tell you, the next time that I'm in New York, I'm going to come and visit because I was on your website going, wow, there's there's events here. And I, I actually have a friend who lives in Brooklyn and I was like, oh, how, how far away is he from there? Could he could he actually get up to, to go and check it out on my behalf? So uh, I was doing all this exploring because it looked so cool. <laughs> well, that's great. It's good to hear. Thank you. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to Darren Howarth, founder of Sea Level, about what carbon balancing is, how it impacts local communities, and why he's creating micro-documentaries about this. If you want to bring more nature into your life and your organisation, find out more about how EarthSelf's nature-connected coaching, consulting and training can help you and your organisation achieve optimal well-being and performance at www.earthself.org.